Welcome back to the podcast series, Behind the Screens, hosted by me, Jock Glover, Strategic Relationships Director here at Square Mile Investment Consulting and Research. In this series of podcasts, we meet members of the investment teams from across the asset management industry whose funds we rate and spend 15 or 20 minutes chatting to them to get some insight into their thinking. This week, our guest is Tom Walker. He's one of the fund managers of the £1.3 billion Schroeder Global Cities Real Estate Fund, and he runs a similar-sized offshore fund as well. The fund managers are aiming to provide income and capital growth in excess of inflation um, over a three- to five-year period uh, by investing in equities of real estate companies worldwide. And the fund has been awarded a responsible A rating by the Square Mile analysts. Tom, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Well, it's very nice to have you. Um, and I'm going to start uh, our chat with uh, the elephant in the room, I suppose. Um, you've had a very sharp rise in interest rates over the last uh, 12 months or so. We've had higher inflation, and that means real estate is now, I think, according to the Bank of America Global Fund Manager Survey, the most underweighted sector. Um, you've got investors who can go and get a 5% risk-free return from cash at the moment, um, what's the what's the argument? What's the bull argument for putting their money into a real estate fund in these market conditions? Yeah, so it's a, it's clearly a very important question, and one of the reasons I said thanks very much for having me is because no one has wanted to speak to me for about a year and a half now. No one wants to to look at real estate or talk about it. So it's great to have a little bit of attention, and I think that's actually kind of one of the the, the reasons why we think the sector looks very interesting. As you re- mentioned, the Bank of America Merrill Lynch Fund Manager Survey shows that the fund managers are the most underweight to the sector since the financial crisis. And I was working, you know, in investing back in the financial crisis, and that was a very very different real estate market, huge amounts of debt, huge amounts of supply, no demand. Whereas today, when we look at those real estate fundamentals, with the exception of the office subsector, which is really a very small component uh, of our investment world right now, all of the other subsectors are really in very strong, solid positions. And so, you know, the, the one reason people are underweight is because interest rates are rising. But we are arguing at the moment, and in our valuation numbers tell us, is that the sector is, is at one of the most attractive discounts in its history. So we're looking at a sector on our numbers globally that's trading just over a 20% discount. Historically, when the sector has got to that discount, it then outperforms bonds and equities from that point. You can also then also look at when the Fed stops raising interest rates, what happens next? And again, the REIT sector outperforms. So effectively, we think that all of that bad news is in the price today. So, so you're saying that the catalyst for a re-rating of this sector, which has um, been beaten up beyond belief, if, if you what you say is right about uh, the state of the, the rentals and all the rest of it, is if you believe that interest rates have peaked or just about peaked, then that's going to be the moment that'll start. It ought to be the catalyst for for this starting to perform again. Absolutely. I mean, you know, if we're looking on a 12-month basis, even six months after the Fed peaks, and we look back at previous cycles, we've got dramatic outperformance from the REIT sector. And, and I don't think it's rocket science as to why that's the case, because probably as rates have been increasing, what's been one of the worst performing sectors? It's real estate. And I think the difference for me this time round versus the financial crisis is that when rates peak, when those rises stop, 
and people actually look at the real estate sector, they're going to be actually quite interested and pleased with the strong fundamentals that we have. So as I mentioned, offices is really the only sector being disrupted right now. We've got very strong structural demand for data centers, student accommodation, residential rentals, uh, healthcare, you know, playing to the aging demographic. There are all these structural trends going on in the background, which have not stopped because of COVID, have not stopped because of interest rates. And, and we see really confident management teams that we've been meeting over the last year and a half, which is obviously completely contrary to their stock prices of the companies that they are managing. And you're a thematic fund in your own right. You're investing in you know property shares. Um, within those themes, you've just named a whole load of different areas that you could be investing in, whether it's data sectors or student accommodation. Where are the ones that you're seeing uh, the biggest opportunities where, where you've got your your biggest uh, uh, overweights, if you like, in? Yeah, there, there are sort of two sectors that I would probably kind of highlight, and I'll start with the most exciting, and it's the most exciting by a country mile, and that is data centres. We have been speaking to clients about data centres for quite a long period of time, and we've had sort of slides in our pack talking about, you know, Internet of Things, edge computing, artificial intelligence is going to drive demand for this sector. But what we've seen is that this year, one of those trends has come to the forefront and has dramatically changed the sector. And we're seeing evidence of that in the company's performance. And that's data centers. And that's obviously artificial intelligence. So just to give you kind of a few stats. So the quarter three leasing numbers for the data center subsector have just come out and it has shattered all previous records. And we are seeing that artificial intelligence deployments are now becoming a larger and larger share of that leasing. We're seeing companies move from leasing maybe one to two quarters ahead of their space needs to now leasing three to five years ahead of their space needs. In the US, the top eight markets have just, again, broken all records. Atlanta is one of those top eight markets. And in, in the third quarter, recorded the, last, the, the largest amount of leasing ever done in any quarter anywhere in the world. And so these numbers just get bigger and bigger. And the thing that excites us the most, you know, we're in, in any market where somebody's making above average returns, there's going to be a response. And in real estate, that's going to come in the form of extra supply. We've, we're seeing that come through now in some of the logistics markets where e-commerce was driving strong returns. And there's been a supply re response. One of the things we find fascinating about data centers is that that supply response is going to be very, very difficult because of the issue of power. You can't just you know, buy a piece of land and build a data center. You've got to have that power and you've got to have that connectivity. And we think that is going to dramatically limit any supply response that the market might have. And you've got markets like Singapore or Ireland where they've got a moratorium. No more data centers will be built, but yet there's this growing demand. So that really excites us for the rental growth we can get from the data centers in our portfolio. So that would be the first one. The second one is the residential market, but I'll pause there. I don't want to kind of just talk for for you know for too long, just in case you've got questions on data. Well, centers. I was just going to ask you about the the data centres. So this is companies that recognise that their needs in terms of processing data, doing AI, all that sort of stuff, uh, are effectively historically they've just jumped from quarter to quarter or half year to half year on their leasing demands. And they've just gone, we can't do that now. We've got to have a three to five year strategic plan in place to grow it. And then the challenge is that to put a data center in place, you've got to go and talk to the council about how to give it power. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, you know, one of the headlines we saw, I think it was about a year ago in the FT, and it was saying that, um, you know, uh, housing developers were complaining that in West London, um, you know, you couldn't build any more homes because the electrical grid could not cope with any more homes on the grid. And the reason why it couldn't cope with any more homes is because the Europe's largest data center cluster is in Slough. So all of the power is being consumed there. And, and so you can see that power is a really limiting factor here for that ability to grow. And clearly, councils, governments want to ensure people have homes. It's a hot topic kind of wherever you look in the world. And so, again, that's almost going to be the priority. And so if you you know own the data centers in, in Slough, which Segro does, which is one of the names in our portfolio, you're going to benefit there because your rental growth is going to be much stronger than we were anticipating, you know, three or four years ago. And, and artificial intelligence is a complete game changer because, I mean, you know, to use an American analogy, because most of the data center companies we have are American, they talk about a baseball game and it's got nine innings. And they say the extra demand that's going to be created from artificial intelligence, we're at the very beginning of the first innings. No one really knows how big this is going to be. The early estimates are that it's going to be between four to eight times greater demand for data centers today than it was before artificial intelligence was kind of created, if you like, or came into being. And and you were about to start talking about residential there. Yeah. Um, and I and I suppose if you were the average person on the street at this precise moment in time, you might be thinking residential market might look a bit, you know, if they're just buying or selling their own house or whatever, but you're not, not that's not what you're worrying about from a residential perspective, is it? No, and it's a really important distinction that we are investing in commercial real estate. Everything we do, we're owning a piece of real estate that somebody rents. I'm not interested in somebody who's, you know, buying and then selling that flat or that home. We want a resilient piece of, in- intra- of real estate that has a rental income stream that grows over time. And if you think about somebody in the US today, the mortgage rate that they're going to lock in today is touching um, 7 8%. Here in the UK, it's 55 6% or so. So the cost to buy a home and service that mortgage is now much more expensive than it is to rent. And so over the last year and a half, as rates have gone up, there has been a dramatic increase in the renter base in many markets globally. And so that's extra demand for the types of companies in our portfolio. And then you just look at something like US core CPI. One of the reasons why it's been so sticky and high is because of shelter or owner's equivalent rent. And that is just the proxy for the rental market. So, you know, yes, you don't want to be investing in a developer, if you like, who's trying to sell into a falling market, but the rents are very strong. And that's where we're playing. That demand for rental accommodation has increased because there's now more renters than than there are people buying. Brilliant. Um, I normally ask what themes you're running the portfolio, what statistics are going to be, have you got that's a good statistic, but you've been swamping me with both statistics <laughs> and themes. So, I'm going to go and ask an all, a, a different question. I'm going to ask you, you and Hugo run this portfolio together. How do you two split up your day? What do you do? Who, who's responsible for what? And how does that all fit together? It yeah, it's, to- a, it's a good question. I mean, we've actually, you know, we both joined Schroders together in 2014. We've been working actually together since 2006. So an incredibly long working relationship. Um, and how we have sort of evolved, if you like, over time, because it's never kind of stays the same is... Hugo spends a lot more time, I suppose, with the investment team getting into the weeds of the numbers, 
understanding the assumptions in the models. And I'll spend a bit more time suppose, speaking with clients, thinking about kind of the business strategy. Um, and, and so it, it, it dovetails quite nicely between the two of us. But clearly, we're not always around. Someone's on holiday. So, you know, I need to be able to, to dive into spending time with the analysts. And then he needs to speak to clients when I'm not around as well. So it's, it's something where we have an area of specialism, if you like. But it is important that we both do, you know, both sides of the fence, if you like. And what keeps you two up at night in terms of what 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 worries you? I mean, apart from maybe an even bigger interest rate shock or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because obviously, think, what's caused the the, the 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 disappointment in the last eighteen months has been that. Yeah, no, and, and that's true. I mean, you know, I, I think about kind of sentiment to our sector and the spring in my step, and it is definitely the lowest it's been since the financial crisis because it's been just such a painful time to be in real estate. But we know it goes in cycles. But in terms of what keeps us up at night, I think it's a constant, and I think that it's probably the same for you know any active manager. It's about justifying your existence. We need to create alpha for our clients to justify our existence, and that is really what we worry about kind of twenty four seven. And I think you know we've been doing it. It'll be ten years in July next year. So it's been a long track record. We've got a, a good, strong, long-term track record of outperformance, but it's something that just always is there in the back of your mind. We've got to make sure we justify our existence and we're creating alpha for our clients. And I think that's the constant worry, if you like, and keeps us on our toes. We never get lazy, always looking to evolve the process, stay ahead of market trends. And, and working for a shop like Schroeder's for as long as you have now, I guess you must see um, all the good new ideas coming down the pipeline. Um, and that must give you an idea of what we as investors might be expecting to see in the future. Um, so with your hat on, I mean, obviously, we've talked about uh, the, the digital um, uh, and, the techno- uh, and the data, sorry, the data centers rather than digital, the data centers. Um, what are the other future op- opportunities that you're seeing as an investor at the moment, um, and, and why do you think they're good opportunities? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, you know, completely blinkered and focused on real estate, it's kind of all we think about. The sustainability side of real estate is very, very interesting. Now, there's lots of accusations out there for, you know, funds and sectors about greenwashing, but one of the things I find interesting about real estate is I think it's actually quite hard to accuse the sector of greenwashing because at the end of the day, whether you're leasing a data center, an office building, a industrial warehouse, every tenant signing that lease wants to be signing a lease on a net zero carbon building because they need to tell their stakeholders they're reducing their carbon footprint. And if you as an owner or a developer are not bringing to the market that net zero carbon building, you're not going to sign the lease. So you're going to be a rubbish company, your earnings are going to get downgraded, and no one's going to want to own you. So it's absolutely essential that we are investing in those types of companies, which we do. You know, We're an Article 9 fund, and that's all fine. But one of the bits that I find fascinating, where I think there's a you know, potentially a lot of excitement going forward is just in the materials, the technologies that are going to be needed to retrofit millions of buildings around the world. I mean, if you just think about the residential sector, you know, we're all living in a flat or a home and we think about how inefficient the majority of homes are today. There is going to be a company that comes up with the electric boiler or insulation in walls or the double windows, uh, double glazing, whatever it might be, that is going to be, you know, cost effective, efficient to implement in people's homes or flats. That is going to be a game changer for carbon emissions for many assets. And I think that is a really, really interesting sector to be looking at right now. I think. On that note, because that's a pretty upbeat note for a man who feels that his sector has been beaten up for the last 18 months, 
we'll call it call it a day on that. So that I hadn't really thought about it, but you're right. That sustainability aspect of it. If you are renting somewhere and you're signing a new lease, you you've got to be at net zero or trying to be net zero. Otherwise, your own uh, investors aren't going to be happy with you. So it it just has to happen, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, there's legislation pushing, you know, in the UK, yeah. you've got energy performance certificates and various dates going forward that you've got to be an A, B or a C, whatever it might be. And that legislation is only going to continue because we've yeah. got to all strive to meet the Paris Agreement, which we're kind of seems to be failing at so far. So we need, you know, you will see more laws coming through that are more onerous on people. Tom, that's been an absolutely fascinating conversation today. Um, thank you very much indeed for your time. Uh, so on behalf of uh, myself, uh, Jock Glover um, and Tom, who's the manager of the Schroeder Global Cities Real Estate Fund. Thank you, the listeners, for your support and for listening today. And if you'd like to contact us, please do so via our webpage, www.squaremileresearch.com, or by emailing us at info at squaremileresearch.com. <laughs>